Welcome to Splatbook, the RPG design podcast. If this is your first episode, we choose a tabletop RPG design topic, and then each of us choose a genre or setting to focus our discussion. This show is brought to you by the generous contributions of the lovely backers of the Map Pro Patreon. Uh, if you would like to show your support and receive a monthly asset pack of digital terrain and minis for your virtual tabletop gaming, head over to patreon.com slash and pledge today. My name is Kyle, and today with me is my favorite game master, John. Say hello, John. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> I am glad I'm your favorite game master. You're my favorite game master. Aww, aside I... from me, of course. <laughs> 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 and uh yeah what topic have we chosen today john so we've our topic today is giant monsters yeah and i wanted to define giant monsters as dumb as that sounds because there's giant monsters and then there's giant monsters so so here's here's what i was thinking is they are um like a kaiju is a giant monster mm -hmm. godzilla is a giant monster mm -hmm. but cthulhu is not Cthulhu is an otherworldly cosmic horror. And I think the reason I want to make that distinction is they they produce very different tones, right? So, sure. so when Godzilla shows up, everybody screams and runs, and then they go, let's get some fighter planes and fight Godzilla. When Cthulhu shows up, everybody loses their mind and the world ends. Those are two <laughs> completely different <laughs> storytelling tones, and I want to make, make the distinction there. This And this is... I think this is also really important to suss out early because, uh, you know, there's there's like there's there's Godzilla kaiju giant monster and then there's giant rat, which is giant for a rat. Yes. <laughs> you know, uncomfortably large rat, but it's not necessarily like, you know, like, you know, stomping <laughs> on your, your Toyota Corolla big. <laughs> yeah. And I think there'll be some so there's going to be some gray area here because there'll be awkwardly large animals. Yeah. But I think. Like when we get to our genre, I think we'll find there are some giant monsters that sort of are like giant rats, but they're a little extra giant. Um, and I can give you an example there, but I think they need to be scarily large. They can't just be a big, they can't be big. They have to be giant. I don't know if that helps. The, yeah, no, I, I think, I think, well, and I think a lot of that has to do with the genre specificity and like even the kaiju um, movie genre is kind of more about like how impossibly huge this is and it will take right. the the effort of an entire country to solve this or the effort of an entire military or an entirely separate giant monster to solve our giant monster right. problem. The best, what's the best thing for a giant monster? Another giant monster. That's right. You just, yeah, it's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you, if you have ants in your house, you get a bunch of geckos and then you get alligators to eat the geckos and then you get, and then you got Godzilla fighting Gamera. <laughs> this is how this came about. <laughs> so what uh what genre or setting have you chosen to to discuss through through the lens of here i chose sword and sorcery just because i felt like there was some fertile ter territory there and there weren't necessarily going to be easy matches there so yeah and when you and immediately uh of course we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna this is going to be our refrain i think anytime we mention something new what do you mean when you say swords and sorcery I could talk about this for a long time, so you might have to, to shut me up. Uh, listen, I can edit um, this if if we have a problem, but yeah, just go nuts, man. <laughs> yeah. So so as a seventies kid, the seventies was real seventies was a big um resurgence of sword and sorcery fiction. So so yes, there was um Tolkien and there was David Eddings the Bulgariad, which I would define as high fantasy, right? Or epic mm. fantasy. 
But the other thing that had a resurgence was Conan the Barbarian, right? Mm. That his his stories all got republished. They got re-edited. They got repackaged. Similar with H.P. Lovecraft. They were mm. actually friends, those two people, Robert E. Howard and, and H.P. Lovecraft. And there's actually a lot of overlap between that sort of Lovecraftian horror and sword and sorcery. Oh, yeah. but, so sword and sorcery to me, sort of very simply... There's a great there's a great book called Swords and Dark Magic, right? Which is mm. a collection of sort of quote unquote new sword and sorcery stories. I think it's from like the '90s, um, and it has a bunch of authors you've heard of writing. Gene Wolfe has a story in there. Um, C.J. Cherry has a story in there. But the the point is that that the intro to that volume is an essay entitled "Leave Your Dark Lord at the Door." Ooh. Okay, so so a sword and sorcery story in my mind contains two things. It can be, contains a, a mighty figure who can overcome whatever the obstacle is. And that can be a variety of things. You know, there's Conan the Barbarian is the obvious example. There's, there's Gerald of Jory, who is another sort of old school one by CL Moore, um, who I like a lot. She's a, she's a ruler. She, hers are a little more realistic, but also more Cthulhu-esque. She's the ruler of a kingdom in France, but she travels to these like other dark realms that feel very. Oh, I've, uh, I've read one of those crappy. recently. It was yes. incredible. She's like, she goes down into the basement to go like make a deal yeah. with the devil to like kill someone she turns out to love. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's great. So those are the sort of classic examples. Um, in the seventies, when they were becoming popular again, there was an author I really liked who named Carl Edward Wagner who wrote a, a barbarian wizard named Cain, who was was absolutely terrifying. And his stories were very gothic and dark. And then the, the and I'll give a modern, we could go on for, I won't do too many examples, but another example of something from this century, um, uh, Saladin uh, Ahmed wrote a book called um, The Empire of the Crescent Moon. And it is sort of an, uh, um, a Middle Eastern style um, sword and sorcery, but it's about this guy who fights uh, evil monsters and ghouls, and he has this young swordsman who accompanies him. It's it's total sword and sorcery, but it's it's modern. It's amazing, um, and maybe we can get the right title in the show notes. Looking it up, it is Throne of the Crescent Moon by Saladin Ahmed. Check it out. So I think my big definition point for sword and sorcery is that the stakes are generally lower than epic fantasy. Okay, so they are individual to the hero or the rogue in question. Right? Mm. There may be a kingdom at stake, but there's never um, there's never a dark lord going to. There's an evil sorcerer, but not a dark lord. Okay, and that magic is dark and forbidden. Right? There's no good magic in your average mm, short and sorcery yeah. story. Sometimes there is. There's a, there's a couple examples, and then third, um, I think it's about horror as much as fantasy. The point I'm making is they feel more horrific. There's more sort of crawly, skittery, horrific things than there are orcs, for example. Um, yeah. You don't you don't see a lot of of non-human invader types. Um, it's all it's like the dark sides of humanity against each other. Um, so that'll be my that's my my high level addition of, addition of sword and sorcery definition. So what 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 would you add to that or subtract from that? The only thing I, I really actually want to add to that, because I'm really I, I think that's a that's a that's a really solid definition. And that's what I think really kind of separates epic fantasy. The the thing the big thing that I wanted to add is uh, uh, Epidia um, Ravikal has has made this amazing sword and sorcery game called Swords Without Masters, which you I, can I find... looked at that game. We'll be talking about that game. I just oh, reviewed it yesterday. 
that came out in in Worlds Without Master, which is a magazine. Yeah, uh, issue three specifically. Issue uh, three. Yes. And I just was looking through it, so we'll get back to that game. He almost like defines the genre with the single like real dice roll mechanic that's in the game. Yes, you roll for tone, and depending on what the dice say, it'll it will change from either a glum tone or a jovial tone, and that is all that dice world is really for. And you yeah. can interpret those two words in whatever way you want, but these are these are the main two tones of sword and sorcery things. So especially if you think yes. of Conan. Um, Conan is brooding or yes. he's or he's in the throes of of heroic battle. Like Or he's 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 reveling and carousing and, and drinking away his money. Or he's drunk know? on the way to his next <laughs> adventure. If I can invoke, you know, and I and I wish I could find the title of this essay. I have looked for it. I swear it's by Carl Edward Wagner, but it might be by somebody else. But Carl Edward Wagner is an interesting character in a lot of ways. He was a trained as a psychiatrist, actually. I think mm. he didn't get his MD, but but then he got into writing and editing fantasy and horror. But he wrote this great essay about Conan, and here was the crux of the essay. No matter how much partying and fighting and running Conan is doing, he is not having a good time. Like, like he is escaping his brooding, dark nature. Conan is actually, in the books, oh, a, a wow. very dark, depressed character who is constantly seeking to to leave that behind him and constantly failing and that's why he goes on another adventure i wonder i, I wonder if he was kind of more Jungian in his leanings this this carl edward wagner Probably. fella uh yeah. because it's like in in because this is very and, and even there's some jacques lacan uh in there too just this idea of like this performance of conan to avoid conan yes his very first story that was published he's a king troubled on a throne having a nightmare you know um and that is very much sort of the essence of of conan now that i think we've kind of established what we mean with what we, what we think is essential to swords and sorcery like how do giant monsters kind of fit into this and how are giant monsters shaped by the genre yeah so i've i've got two examples of, of giant monsters in sword and sorcery that i want to and I want to pull in. So with Conan, I think Robert E. Howard, who is from Texas, was terrified of snakes because I can name four stories off the top of my head where the where the the giant monster is a giant snake. And in fact, mm. I was just saying that first. I think it's the Phoenix on the sword. Is that what it is? I think so. Phoenix in the sword. One of the first Conan stories. He gets chained in a basement and and in the darkness he hears the slithering of this giant snake and it's not just like a boa constrictor its head is the size of him right so it's mm. it's a hundred feet long it's not 40 feet long um and so when when the old school guys did it like i remember another story with a giant slug the size of a castle right so yes these are recognizable things but to to ridiculous proportions and i and i think in one of the stories, he does kill the giant snake. But, but what I like about both those monsters is is conventional means don't avail him, right? He's got to figure right. out. Like, I think he, he kills that giant snail by squashing it under a piece of masonry in an old ruin or something. I can't remember exactly. But, but he can't just pull his sword out and, and kill it. Um, so I think there's something you've got to figure out another way. Um, and then the other example I'll put is uh, there's an Elric story. He's gone on an adventure in the jungle in uh, sailor on the seas of fate and in that jungle is a giant 
statue of his his patron demon Ariok, and and that that comes alive at some point in the story of mm. um, the Jade Man. It's called the Jade Man's Eyes, I think, or at least that's the legend around it. And um, that's another example of a monster who is beyond fighting, right? Like there's no, we're not tracking hit points on this creature. It's It's got to be overcome, right? But it can't be, it can't be killed. And I think that's an aspect of giant monsters in sword and sorcery is that they are representations of, dark powers or dark sorcery that are terrifying and have to be escaped or overcome, but you're not fighting them like in D and D when you fight an adult red dragon. So I want to, I want to take that tone element of, of swords without master really quick and introduce it here. Um, the, the glum tone is often like, like people think Conan or these other heroes are unstoppable killing machines. And they are the, the glum. That's the glum mood. Part of the story is Conan is often, often terrified. He's often described as having like a, a rivulet of sweat running down his back. That is cold as ice or, you know, something like that. So there's a lot of fear and terror of these giant creatures. And, and the jovial part comes in when he springs into action, which could be, Jovial could be anger. Often with Conan, it's anger. With other people, it's just like with Farhard and the Grey Mouser, it's, um, you know, just joy. They're just having yeah. a good time and quipping as they're sword fighting the thugs. Whereas with Elric, it just stays glum and he just kills a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I may have a question for you, though. What about sort of flipping that around? Like, what what about, how do we how do we reverse that? Instead of talking about how sword and sorcery does giant monsters, how can we introduce sword and sorcery into sort of another giant monster? The way that I would do it is kind of really lean into this whole thing where so if elric has to fight godzilla right then he's going to make a, a dark pact that's going to be its own quest and then you you do have just like a slug out fest with this this entity that you have already forged this like complicated relationship with and there are there are real stakes and then what are the consequences what would we do to bring this alive at the table is it just a matter of like if you're running a game that has giant monsters in a sword and sorcery game would you just say you can't kill this with weapons to your players yes yeah okay yeah i would <laughs> and i and i would make sure ahead of time that that's okay yeah right that that there are going to be things that you can't fight with weapons and swords without master does a great job of this in saying look the over player can say the giant statue is going to stab you with its giant spear here comes the spear what do you do? And the player can say, I leap out of the way. And and another player can say, and I throw um, sand in the giant statue's eyes so it can't see for a minute. Like, like there's no roles to do things. There's just roles to set the tone. And I think that's essential. I'm going to add one thing to, to my definition of sword and sorcery. Oh, please. And that is earnestness. Ooh, okay? yeah. Irony doesn't really have a place here. Um, I'm, I'm snapping. That's this is good. This is good stuff right here. <laughs> I think like like in these stories, you have to use huge language and have big emotions. When you are jovial, you are jovial. There is golden ale and bright blood splashing, and you're romping around, or you're glum and it's all browns and blue, dark blues, and it's <laughs> you know, there's no there's no gray in this world. So I think in order to do that, you need to be very earnest about it. I think if you're trying to play Swords Without Master, ironically, you are you are missing the experience. The reason I think why Swords Without Master is so good at pulling the tablecloth out underneath all the wine glasses, there's no resolution mechanic, right? Correct. Uh, 
Because and it's like you it's just your imagination. You basically have to go into irony parody mode when you can't roll over ten uh, yes. in a whole night of a d twenty based system. You just lose over and over again, and to get some emotional distance, you you have to be ironic. There's nothing less sword and sorcery than you're going to rob the tower of the elephant. You go to climb the wall, you fall and take one d six hit points of damage. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's no go. Uh, I wanted to talk about giant monsters in Leviathan Song. So, yeah, tell me about this game. I don't know. Okay, about... it's an official spin-off game for Blades in the Dark. Oh, now I've heard of it. Okay. Now that you say that, because there's the, the Leviathans in Blades in the Dark that sort of, yeah. Tell me more, though. I don't know anything about it. Yes, okay. So so in Blades in the Dark, for those not familiar, um, the whole society kind of runs off of um, uh, like demon whale blood. Yes. It's called electroplasm. Uh, and the only way they can keep this, like, you know, uh, uh, Tesla coil wall up that keeps all the ghosts out of their city is mm-hmm. to uh, is to go and hunt these giant whale demons in, in the ocean. Yes. Um, and that is this game. It is a procedural whaling game. <laughs> that sounds kind of great. <laughs> yes. So, but the, the wonderful thing about this, and I think the thing that this game does such an amazing job, and, it, and, it's, and it's entirely based is off of... Is it mechanically similar to Blades in the Dark? It's exactly the same. Okay, so it's a lot of, you, you get what you want, but you have to take on consequences and bad choices. And, yes. And, and, and do your outlets of drinking and all that kind of stuff. The wonderful thing about it is it treats every whale hunt or Leviathan hunt like a score. And so it has like a specific procedure for it. Okay. And so on these boats that go out and hunt the Leviathans, um, there is like an oracle that reads the signs and, um, and everyone, every one of these monsters is completely different. Um, and so like the closer you get, like they're, they are, they are so big. They're basically like their own ecosystems. So there's all these other like crazy mutant pterodactyls and like sea slugs and everything that like follow them around. Um, and as you kind of close in on this, this big monster, you're constantly kind of like getting more and more clues about what exact monster it is. And like, you know, how many people have gone after it before, what kind of stuff they left behind that's just like embedded in the hide or like between the teeth of this giant monster. So the Leviathan is a story. It's not only a story, it's an environment. Like to to actually hunt the Leviathan, you have to like go onto it. Like, cause it's like as big as an island. It's an environment, but it also has a history and a context and all these other things. It's like a little story in itself that you're entering. They have they have like all their own nicknames and stuff like that. So it's like maybe you only get like a chunk of it, but the rest of it gets away. But that's enough for electroplasm and you still get your bonus and all this kind of stuff. So it really turns it into like it really um, the the sense of atmosphere and dread. This idea that it even our whole crew of people have a decent chance of just getting wiped out by a single motion from this right. thing if we're if we're not being smart about it but also you're just playing a crew member so you kind of just like whatever your captain is doing it's like you kind of you you have to do your best within that context but you have a specific role on that boat and it's so good uh, the Magpies podcast did an episode, they did like a special episode, spinoff episode with this, uh, with two of their players. And it was, it was incredible. I, I was just All like, right. I don't know that I would want to play it every week, but I would play it for three weeks. I, 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 yeah. I, I would totally want to give this the game a shot. 
So I think there's something, I guess I'll throw that into our definition of that these stories are self-contained and, and Ooh, that's good. And they're short. There's one Conan novel written by Robert E. Howard. There's other Conan novels, but they're not any good. Um, <laughs> but all, like all the Elric stories, for example, they're a collection of short stories. The Gerald of Jory stories, short stories. Um, I think there's some, uh, same with uh, Farhard and the Grey Mouser. I think there are exceptions, but I think, I think self-containment and brevity are essential elements to this too. And I'll add one more thing, is that if you've got a giant monster or a barbarian swinging the sword, either way, the action is permanent and visceral, right? So yeah. the giant monster is knocking over a building yeah. or the barbarian is killing somebody gloriously. There's no there's no half measures in either of those kinds of stories. And the nice thing, the other thing, because I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Leviathan Song and just kind of the idea of like sea monsters. This kind of like t- really tapping into um, this this bizarre relationship historically lots of different cultures have had this very complicated relationship with the sea and and basically you have to accept that if if you're going to live this way the sea can take everything from you at any moment in an instant that is um sort of like concentrated in the locus of of the giant monster it is right the chaos it is the fact that you're rolling the dice and you no matter how good a sailor you are you don't actually get to decide if you make it back or not uh and and that is i think that is if you can tap into that just this kind of like this sense that um that the sea itself does not want you to be there and your tiny little boat is nothing in front of it you know and moby dick is a big part of that like the hubris of ahab is is like what what are you what are you gonna do dude this is this is a giant whale, <laughs> you know. Like yeah, I don't, and I think from hell's heart, I stab at thee. I don't even think about you, bro. <laughs> uh, but there, there, I like that sense of of sort of darkness and uh, mystery associated with the sea too, because these cultures know they need it, but at the same time, it's a terrifying thing. And and the and and I like it. you're you're that's such a great point that it's personified in this monster, right? But I, and I love how the um, how how uh, Leviathan song does a really good job of giving a fruitful procedure to follow for you know doing what Blades does really well, which is letting you know letting everything fall apart in a really fantastic way. That it's like you understood what should yeah. have happened very clearly, and that but here's where we actually are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's about a million things I love about that, but I like that it is. It's not the same as this is where I think it's different. It's it's an acceptance of and and a casual disregard for for life and well being in an almost jovial way, and where where and I think that's the distinction we're making earlier between Cthulhu and and Moby Dick, right? It's everybody in that in the story of Moby Dick knows exactly what you're talking about, right? Like the whale could take you tomorrow. We're still doing this anyway. Nobody goes mad, right? And there's this acceptance of uh, you know, just the, the fragility of it all. And, 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 you know, they're partying and, and that's how they sort of work it out. I think this is one of the most interesting parts about like, you know, this, this, this completely f- fictional divide 
uh, between like the OSR and story games. <laughs> yes. Oh, please. <laughs> you know, let's do this. It's like, <laughs> I should define my terms a little bit. So the OSR is an acronym that stands for old school renaissance. They are games that are designed to capture the feeling of the RPGs that were being published in the 70s and 80s, um, oftentimes very uh, random table heavy, uh, high lethality, all of these kinds of things. And then story games are seen as a much uh, more newcomer to the scene and oftentimes focus on mechanics that are going to uh, enhance the narrative rather than the simulation of, you know, tables and uh, equipment stats and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you describe exactly what you're doing uh, in Leviathan Hunter, uh, it it sounds like a game of of mothership on a boat. You know, it's just like right. this, you you are playing workaday schlubs who have like the worst job in the world, uh, yeah. and and nobody. You know, it's like if if your whole if every if you and everybody on that boat goes down into the belly of the beast, literally. Um, they'll yeah. just send another boat of schlubs after you. It's like, yeah, we need cares the, if we you need live the, or die. <laughs> yeah, we need to power the city. I mean, what do you, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, like a, it's, if you get back, good on you. You can make some, you can, you can make some good scratch that way. But if you don't, it's just, we'll just find some other idiot. We'll uh, just find some other guy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they, and they get at that at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of Moby Dick, which has like one of the best opening chapters to any book. It does. Uh, and he's, he's just talking about like, I, I actually can't exist here on land. If I stay too long on land, I, I feel like I just need to whack people's, you know, hats off their yeah. hats. Like I can't actually get along. If I could integrate into regular society, I would not go out to sea, but because I can't, right. this is where I go. <laughs> and it's, you know, kind of t- tying this back to what you were saying about that, 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 you know, this proposition about Conan. Like this is a yeah. This is a flight from something, uh, and probably yes. yourself. You know, he can't sit still. You know, for a second. Yeah. And, and, and you get these people who have been on the boat for so long that they're kind of like institutionalized to the point they can't exist on shore anymore. That 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 you know the idea of like you know getting wiped out by a sea monster or something like that. It's just like, eh, it's better than being on land, I guess. <laughs> Thinking on land, I'd have to stop and think and have a mortgage and all those other things. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> Screw that. So, I, yeah, it's like it's really interesting because there's there is kind of like this workaday aspect to Conan's existence and also uh, uh, Leviathan Song and kind of like these nautical sea monsters. Um, yeah, the idea that anybody in any of these scenarios would have a regular job is laughable, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, all right. I think, I think that, uh, about, I like where we are. Yeah. I think, I think this does it. So, uh, uh, yeah. Thank you everyone, uh, for listening. And, um, uh, if, uh, if you wanted to, uh, follow up with the conversation, you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Kyle Latino, um, on Twitter. Uh, or again, you can uh, find me on my Patreon page. Um, these will be free on the Patreon um, for everybody to be able to listen to when I post them there. So uh, head on over there and, and and leave a comment or a question or complain about how off topic we went. <laughs> that, that's where to put those comments. Uh, uh, do you want to communicate I, with me? I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not really on the internet. That, that's what I was going to say. That's the wonderful <laughs> thing about this. It's like, I was like, you want to drop your socials, dude? <laughs> 
I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have any. <laughs> Actually, please never speak to me. <laughs> yeah, you can email me, but I don't feel comfortable giving out my address. <laughs> this is great. This is great. All right. Well, yeah. Un- un- until until next time. Splat book. God, we, Splat we, we're gonna, book. We're working on it. We're working. On we're it. working on. It. We'll get it. We'll start it out by next time. <laughs> All right. Splat book is a proud part of Roll for It Media. Be sure to check out our sister show, Roll for Topic, wherever fine podcasts are purveyed or on their website, gmdiscussions.com. And please leave us a five-star review on your podcasting app of choice. It really helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Latino. My YouTube channel is Mapcro, and you can subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Mapcro. And you can follow John in your hearts. Music cues for this episode are as follows. The opening was Arrakis by David Matthews. No, not that one. Uh, From the album Dune from 1977. And our outro was from Blue Oyster Cult, the song Monsters from the 1980 album Cultosaurus Erectus. Stay tuned for a little intershow chit-chat. So, uh, so actually, so just tell me, like, honestly, because I don't like know. Like my gaming how, intro how, story? Yeah, like, what is the boring gaming intro? Let's just get that it, out of the way. It's a very, so it's what's interesting to me is that I hang out with you and a bunch of other uh, uh, elder millennials, right? But <laughs> Geriatric I millennials, fact, I think, is the Geriatric term. millennials. <laughs> But I am, in fact, a, a Gen Xer and and grognard aged almost. Oh no! Right, so I know. So my first introduction ever to D anD D was my friend's older brother had that blue and white book. Oh. I just remember reading the the description of play, and you know, then the four orcs come running around the corner and being mesmerized. To this day, I still read all the examples of play that I can because I love them. Um, <laughs> So, but the first play I ever did was in, was in, uh, advanced D and D. Um, mm-hmm. and this guy invited me to play and that was good. And I had a, a couple of groups. It was really fun, but I really got into it and became like a gamer. I knew I was hooked when my friend got, well, I went to Ryder's hobby shop in Ann Arbor, Michigan and the, the legendary Dean Martell, I was asking him something about D and D and he said, well, have you heard of this other game? It's called Dragon Quest. It's by SPI. And I think this is also where I became a, a D&D contrarian. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever um, heard of Dragon Quest is the thing. I, yeah, it's from, it, to me. they got bought by TSR in the early 80s. They released two editions of the game. It's not spectacularly good as a game, but what it was <laughs> is different than D&D. And I think I've been a D&D contrarian since 1981. That, <laughs> so well, that's, that's how good. I got started. Yeah. yeah. How did you get started? Um, I, the, my first role-playing game that I played and DM'd for was actually um, uh, the Dragon Ball Z game in the 90s yes. when I was in. So my <laughs> one of my friends, owned, their dad owned um, a game store here that's that's been closed for many years at this point, unfortunately. Wow. Uh, but yeah, we used to go up there and there was like this, we would play in the storage space of this game store. Oh my uh, gosh. It was great. And yeah, and and uh, we didn't know what the heck we were doing and it was a terrible system. 
but I also, I mean, I grew up during the um, Satanic Panic era, yeah. you know, as a and as a as a cute little fundy boy. Um, like my mom <laughs> would not let us play Dungeons and Dragons, and, it, right. and if she knew that we were playing role playing games, she probably wouldn't have allowed that either. But we just said, right. "Oh, it's a game based off a cartoon show," and she's like, "Okay." You know, That's I only fun. know what how the exact words that Dr. James Dobson used to scare me off of this. I don't I don't actually know what a, a role playing game is. So we managed to get away with it. I'm a little jealous of of elder millennials and geriatric millennials, excuse me. And <laughs> I just the, the wealth of options you had, even though it's not even like it is today. Mm. Like like I remember a lot of people saying, you know how I got into it? The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Right. Yeah. And like. And like, that's awesome, right? Like, how fun is that? You know, where D&D is very specific and there was only really one, though I did yeah. get into Champions a little later, but yeah. I, well, and I also think there's something really essential about having one of these like shovelware licensed projects as your first experience. For yeah. me, it's like, well, because like anybody, I'm going to valorize my own experience that I just happen to have. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's like because the rules were so bad um, and unclear, you had you could, to become you could a game designer. disregard them at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. You just got used to that. It was just like, oh, I don't like this or this is the way we should do it. But one of the cool aspects of this is I, I don't know if you're familiar with the with the cartoon show, but in Dragon Ball, there's usually like a big power up and a wind up and you, you shout the right. name of the move as you're shooting these energy bolts and you actually get bonus die for doing that in real life. Dude, that's so, you amazing. Know, for a bunch of like goofball, uh, you know, middle schoolers, this was this was great. I think it is an essential thing to to kind of like learn to trust your own voice um, and it, because, you know, the voice of the rules is not actually like concerned with delivering a quality product. Like I was old enough to know that I was just like the people who wrote this had no idea what this. No, I don't care about. at all. They're just cashing in. And, <laughs> yeah. But I know it. So I'm going to do it right. Yeah. 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 And uh, it, you and, know what? It occurs started. to me um, in one of your Mapcrow episodes, you talked about uh, Jaquaying the dungeon. Yeah. Right? Danelle Jaquay. So here's your trivia. Here's your connection. Okay. Uh, uh, so Janelle uh, in the eighties wrote one of my favorite adventures ever. She wrote two of them, both for dragon quest. And one is called the enchanted wood. And it is this gigantic sprawling. It's amazing. And it's inspired me ever since. It's probably a little melodramatic and too much, but it's, it's like this story about, um, a god who got trapped in this pillar and you and there's a giant that lives in the pillar and tends to its heart and one of the players can like assume the form wow. of the, it's like nuts <laughs> and it's great and i remember in the early days of the internet i emailed her and i was like this i loved this game and this adventure she couldn't have been nicer she was like she was like i was playing in so-and-so's RuneQuest game for a while but then i kind of got bored of it and like she was just real she was just familiar and didn't think it was weird at all. Plus it was early days of the internet. So it probably hadn't happened 3000 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that's fairly old by this point, but uh, the first couple are cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like, and then just you're in Ringo star and this is just, just yeah. all you do. And you have to make a big announcement. It's like, Love and peace. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you want you want to try to uh, get get this thing rolling? Yeah, let's do this. 